Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. Hour number two of Extra Point on this Wednesday, May 17th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today, as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Let's reset the scene with today's poll question. There's an Eastern Conference Finals matchup, game number one tonight. So, who do you have in tonight's game one? The Celtics minus eight or the Heat plus eight? Heat plus eight's lead growing 82% of the vote. Celtics minus eight sitting at 18%. This number has been sitting this for us uh, on eight for like two days or so. So, um, you know, it's either a solid number or there's not much action in the game. I'm believing it's a solid number. And we'll answer this question around 1130. Flipping it on over to Twitter at KDOS AM 1060. Uh, do you closely follow the NBA draft process, including the Tuesday night reveal of the lottery order? Bob had a conversation with Isaac Trotter in the 9 a.m. hour. If you missed it, podcast over at KDOS 1060.com as well as with the KDOS 1060 app. But the masses, they continue to be firmly on the no side of things at 100% of the vote. Masses are... They've rarely been more wrong than they are right now. <laughs> this, this shouldn't be 100%. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, I don't know if this is the fact that Suns don't really play a role, obviously, in the draft lottery part of it. Uh, or, you know, they're going to have a first-round pick, I think. They have a first-round pick. I'm not even sure if they have a first-round pick. But anyway, if they do, it's not going to be a guy that's going to be an impact player, most likely. At least this first season, probably not going to be an impact player. Uh, so we'll see what happens. But maybe that's uh, the part of the reason there's not much interest from the locals. But uh, it's going to be a big disc- topic of discussion in the next month or so before the draft occurs. Uh, we'll answer this question around 11.30. We'll make room for Alex Myers Golf Digest to have a conversation. PGA Championship Week from Oak Hill Country Club in Rochester, New York. We'll do that conversation with Alex around 11.15. But first, let's have a conversation about the Arizona Diamondbacks in Major League Baseball. Uh, Arizona Diamondbacks lost to the Oakland A's yesterday 9-8 to in 12 innings. Uh, Ryan Nada hit the game-tying grand slam in the seventh inning for the A's and then the, the loss ended up going to Scott McGuff who pitched two and a third, two hits, one run uh, three walks and four strikeouts and Tommy Henry got the start for the club four and two thirds innings, six hits, four runs three walks, four strikeouts and two home runs given up Worst loss of the season for the Diamondbacks, not just because they lost a game to the A's, but they had an 8-4 lead in the seventh inning you mentioned uh, you know, Kyle Nelson, or you mentioned him specifically, but they gave up the grand slam in the seventh inning. That was after an Evan Longoria error at third base, so there were unearned runs involved there. Uh, and Nelson actually has been really good as a reliever out of the bullpen for them this year. Obviously, uh, you know, threw that pitch to Nada last night, but not good there. I felt a little bit sorry for McGuff. They were out of relief pitchers, so he was going to pitch in I don't know how long. But uh, yeah, it was his third inning that uh, you know, they finally gave up the lead. 
you know, they went scoreless uh, for their last five at bats against the worst bullpen in baseball. And, uh, per, you know, right now, statistically, the worst bullpen in the history of Major League Baseball. They scored zero runs against them in their last five at bats. It was a pretty dismal performance. It'll be interesting to see what happens today. Ryan Nelson, who has been hardly a reliable starting pitcher this season, they need some innings out of this guy. Um, I haven't had time to check. I don't know if the Diamondbacks made some roster moves back in the day when they had long inter- extra inning games all the time in Major League Baseball. There were almost always roster moves after a team played an extra inning game and had to use a lot of its bullpen. They uh, have. So I, you know, they have. Okay, so I figured they had to do something because they just they're out of dudes. Yeah, they brought up uh, Luis Frias, a uh, 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 reliever, and they optioned outfielder Alec Thomas to Reno. That's interesting that Thomas has gone. Obviously, you know, the you know, this outfield situation, Thomas is a tremendous defensive player. Um, maybe you can even make a case that if he's not the best center fielder in baseball, he's got to be in this, certainly in the discussion defensively, but he has been an atrocious really poor hitter so far this year so that part doesn't surprise me too much uh and also obviously you know the the emergence of dominic fletcher you know since he's come up uh he's been a offensive machine in fact he's the uh you know he's only one of the there's only five diamondbacks in history that have at least 20 hits in their first 15 career games and tucker excuse me fletcher is one of those you know para Mark Reynolds, Chad Tracy, Matt Cata, uh, those are the other guys. They're the only other Diamondbacks that had 20 hits in their first 15 games. So I'm guessing that all this played a role in Thomas uh, going back to the minor leagues. The Diamondbacks, if they're actually going to be serious about this season and really even, for my opinion, to even make the playoffs, they've got to do something with their rotation and their bullpen and that's going to be difficult because uh, before the trade deadline, unless there's a, a unless, unless there's a massive change, there's not going to be that many starting pitchers available. There's going to be a billion relief pitchers available, but many of the contending teams need significant bullpen help. So the price tag is going to be high for starting pitchers because of a lack of supply. And there's going to be a high price because of the good teams, many of them need multiple starters, I assume relievers. And I think the Diamondbacks are going to have to give up some of this outfield talent that they have, which is a lot, to get anybody in return in a trade that would make a difference. Uh, the game in the series continues this afternoon. It's a 12.37 p.m. start. Valley Sports Arizona, you already mentioned this. Ryan Nelson set to get the start. He's 1-2, and two, 6.20 ERA, 26 strikeouts going up against Luis Medina, who's 0-2, 8.18 ERA, and 9 strikeouts on the year. So we'll see how that unfolds. Uh, when we look at other games around the league, the Padres lost to the Royals yesterday, 5-4. to four. The Padres mustered 8 hits in the game so they have to try to tie up this series for the Royals they're sending Carlos Hernandez to the mound uh, with you Darvish going on the mound for the Padres but interesting here uh, just looking at records Royals 13 and 31 Padres 20 and 23 Padres had a really bad day last two days injury wise Manny Machado who's not off to a good start anyway hit on the wrist with a pitch on uh, Monday night we got my nights right yeah Monday night 
Uh, he was out yesterday. They thought he would maybe be available, and now there's actually some talk today that he might be headed to the injured list. Uh, in addition to that, Seth Lugo, Lugo, their starter last night, he had to leave the game with an injury in the third inning, second or third inning, and uh, their starting pitching is already a little thin. And uh, yeah, I've talked a couple different times already this week, uh, including with Jay Jaffe from Fangraphs, about the Padres' horrible offense so far this year. And uh, they've scored, uh, um, you know, it was like 18 of the first 41 games, they had scored three runs or fewer. And this is an offense that's supposed to be carrying their team. The Dodgers lost to the Twins yesterday, 5-1. to one. Uh, Clayton Kershaw got the start. Four innings, seven hits, two runs, one walk, and seven strikeouts here. Uh, so we've kind of had some up-and-down starts here from Kershaw as of late. Well, I guess. I mean, he, you know, <laughs> yeah, every time he loses, it's like a national crisis. Um, so I would beg to differ. He's been much better than, you know, than apparently many people think. Uh, he's had far more good starts than his two, one bad start and one mediocre start so far this season. So it's been, this has been going on for you know, 10 years. Every time that Kershaw is not Sandy Koufax Jr., it's like, what the hell is wrong with him? So I guess that's the case last night, too. Twins, 24-19, and 19, sending Sonny Gray to the mound, 4-0, 1.39 ERA, 56 strikeouts. Dodgers are sending uh, Dustin May, 4-1, 2.68 ERA, 32 strikeouts. Dustin May has obviously been good for the Dodgers so far this year. Yes, he has. Doesn't strike many guys out for a guy that throws as hard as he does, but he that's just the way it is. Uh, and uh, the Dodgers, I believe that they had won 12 out of 15 games before last night, so... It's not like they're uh, you know, going to fall into the Pacific Ocean and never be heard from again. Uh, then you also had the Yankees versus the Blue Jays. The big thing was Domingo Herman ejected with sticky substance last night. Uh, so we'll find out what sort of suspension is on the horizon for him. Garrett Cole on the mound, 5-0, 2.22 ERA, 62 strikeouts. Going up against Chris Bassett, 5-2, 3.49 ERA and 41 strikeouts. Well, I think actually the really big thing in this, you know, for two days in a row, it's all the chirping uh, between the loudmouth Jays, including their manager, you know, Schneider, who won't shut up and should. Uh, he should actually get his team to play better fundamental baseball instead of you know, trashing Aaron Judge. Uh, and Aaron Judge hit another home run, which turned out to be the game winner in this game last night. And then the Yankees are – Maybe figuring out their bullpen. They're getting a little healthier. Looks like Severino might be back by the end of the week, but I'm pretty sure I said that last week. <laughs> so so we'll, we'll see how that goes. Uh, Carlos Rodon threw off flat ground, which is progress for him. But I did hear uh, a, a Yankees report that uh, it's unlikely that Rodon is going to pitch before the All-Star break, which is like the second week of July. And uh, the Rays are going up against the Mets. Justin Verlander, five innings, eight hits, six runs, two walks, three strikeouts, and two home runs in yesterday's contest. That didn't make uh, Mets fans too happy uh, with that situation. His first home start, and they booed him off the mound. Um, uh, but, you know, the Mets have now they've lost six consecutive series before last night. They're obviously behind in this series now against the Rays. It's been a disaster. Yeah, you know, we had a you know a, you know pipeline question or poll question, yeah, you know, which disappointing team is least likely to make the postseason? 
are uh, most likely to miss the postseason, I think is how we phrase that. And the Padres, who we just discussed a couple of moments ago, and the Mets were our two answers. You know, the Mets are out of pitchers, even though Carrasco is supposed to be back this week, and I guess Scherzer looked okay on – he looked okay on Sunday. But, uh, you know, they, they have pitching issues, and the Padres can't hit. So, you know, that's supposed to be the strength of both of those teams, and hence they're not as good as they're supposed to be. PGA Championship week from Rochester, Oak Hill Country Club. Alex Myers, Golf Digest, set to join us on the other side of the break to preview the year's second major, this test of golf. Uh, where, where should we be going on the odds board as well? So we'll dive into that next. It is the Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com, and with the KDOS 1060 app, powered by Superbook Sports. Every Monday night, check out Ray Adams as he hosts the Monday Night Golf and Lifestyle Show from 6 to 7 p.m. here on KDUS AM 1060. Welcome back to Extra Point right here on KDUS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDUS1060.com and with the KDUS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. We pop on out to the KDUS hotline, Alex Myers Golf Digest. That means we've hit major number two on the tour. We're going to the PGA Championship. Alex, appreciate the time on the program as always. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Doing all right. I mean, I'm actually a little bit confused about this PGA Championship and then where we're supposed to go. So hopefully you can help narrow things in for us. But let's first talk about the golf course itself. It's being contested this year at Oak Hill Country Club in Rochester, New York. It's set to play 7,349 yards, a par 70. Uh, it's a monster of a golf course. This event was held here in 2003 and 2013, but the course is just flat out not not the same. So can you walk us through what this year's course will feature and maybe some conditions that we should expect to see starting Thursday? Yeah, well, well, first of all, you know, when the PGA moved to May uh, a few years back from August, there was this assumption, well, they can go to more courses because, you know, it wouldn't be the, you know, the middle of the summer and everything else. But now they're going to upstate New York in May, and you have a day like today where the temperature isn't even going to crack 50. Guys are freezing. And when the first tee time goes off tomorrow, the windshield's going to be freezing, literally. So you have some interesting conditions there, Kayla, in terms of the ball, you know, not flying as far. Um, you know, you've got some wind. Uh, the course just being a little softer uh, because I think it snowed less than a month ago up there in Rochester. So, you know, it's just a little different than what the guys have been playing, obviously, on the Florida swing or in Texas or – you know, maybe California, you get that wind and some soft conditions. But definitely it's going to be – it's going to play even longer than what you said, which is about 7,400 yards for a par 70 is pretty stiff to begin with. So it's going to play very long. Um, you know, as with many of these courses, they did a lot – a big renovation that involved taking out a ton of trees. I think they took about 600 trees. Um, that actually caused a little bit of an instance here where they're going to have an internal out-of-bounds off of the sixth hole uh, because the sixth hole is such a beast, they don't want people going down the seventh hole. So if you hit a ball into the fairway on the seventh hole, you are out of bounds this week, which is unusual. But um, it's going to be a difficult course. And, you know, everybody's talking about the rough, Caleb, but uh, the bunkers 
are going to be just as penal. Um, not only the greenside bunkers, but the fairway bunkers. If you find one of these, they're very deep, and it's going to make it tough to, to go for the green with your approach shot. Yeah, a lot of times, you know, professional golfers aim for bunkers because it's not it's a hazard, right. but it's not a hazard. But this week, they don't want to be in the bunkers. Exactly. And um, not to say that there's a lot of other great options around the greens. If you miss these greens, uh, what they Andrew Green, the, the architect who came in a few years back, uh, the, you know, they built some more runoff areas, um, although Justin Thomas is saying that some of these runoff areas, the ball's actually going to run through the runoff areas and into the rough. So now, now you're dealing with tricky pitch shots, chip shots, whatever, from, from thick rough um, in some places. Um, there's other holes where, you know, the, the false front is so steep um, that you're going to see shots coming up way short and, and forcing long, difficult pitch shots. I'm thinking of the par three third hole which is very elevated if you come up a little short it's rolling way down this hill so there's a lot of challenges at this course um you know i don't think anybody's expecting anybody to go nuts here in terms of scoring um now that you know there's a creek that winds through um you know but i don't think i don't think you're going to see too many guys in the water or anything like that but you're going to see a lot of guys getting on you know, the bogey train, if, if they're just a little off for a few holes in a row, whether they miss the fairway off the tee, whether they miss the green, um, and then even the greens themselves, obviously, are, are, are their own challenge at these major championships. He's Alex Myers, Golf Digest, as we're chatting about the PGA Championship right here on KDOS AM 1060 in the extra points. So along those lines, this course is going to be a brute of a test, uh, and we're not expecting low scores. I think I saw something where, you know, the if you wanted to do a prop bet on how many under par the tournament is going to, winner is going to finish, it's like 10 and a half under par. But when it comes to what the PGA of America is doing, are we finding a sweet spot with their golf courses here? of a fair test of golf, but yet really challenging these guys. Yeah, I think that's fair. You know, obviously, Augusta has the most exciting major course, and it's the one we're all familiar with, and the USGA is known for putting the toughest test together, and the British Open is just, you never know what you're going to get with the weather. So I think that you're right. I think the PGA has kind of split its way in between the Masters and the and the U.S. Open in terms of difficulty and you know, they're looking for something in that 8 to 10 range under par winning. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm always inclined, or not always, but I'm inclined this week to take the under on that prop and say that a single digit is going to win. But, you know, it's just scary because you could always have one guy just, you know, have an exceptional week. I mean, even at the Masters, John Rahm was the only person who broke 10 and a half, but he shot 12 under at the Masters and he won by four. So, you know, you just you just never know. But that being said, we're seeing a lot of comp- people making comps to um, 2020 Wingfoot, where Bryson DeChambeau uh, finished six under, but he was the only person under par. And then more so people are comparing it to Beth Page in 2019, which was another PGA Championship. And I think that was Brooks Kepka at eight under, holding off Dustin Johnson. But Brooks did shoot a 63 to start that tournament. So I could kind of see it shaping up like that, where – the winner does post that one low number where you get favorable conditions, everything goes right. Um, then you kind of hold on and you know stay in that eight under range, and that that might get it done. 
Alex Myers, Golf Digest here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. Let's get into the golfers here. Odds on favorites heading in. John Rom, Scotty Scheffler here. Uh, so the narrative surrounding these two guys, obviously they're playing some incredible golf. John Rom, the question here is, can he win the year's first two majors? And I think for Scotty Scheffler, for me at least, it's is the putter going to cooperate? For sure with Scotty. I mean, you know, even just last week at the 18th team, Byron Nelson, he had a three-and-a-half-footer for birdie on the final hole that could have made Jason Day think about, you know, his approach on 18 a little more, um, and he bricked it. It reminded me of the match play championship in the semifinals. He bricked a three-footer uh, to advance to the finals. So his putting has been very shaky since winning that Masters last year, and especially on these short putts. Uh, and you know you're going to have a bunch of those at major championships, um, you know, when when you're facing a lot of par putts. There's not going to, you know, not a lot of stress-free pars here. So I, I do worry a little with that about that with him. Um, John Rahm, there's really not much to worry about these days, of course. Um, I'm actually kind of surprised that he's basically the co-favorite with Scotty. I've even seen Scotty edge ahead of him um, at, at some books. Uh, with slightly lower odds than John. But, um, you know, he's on a historic tear right now. There's no way around it. And he picks up a second major, and who knows what else he could do. This now doesn't become a great year. It becomes a, a truly historic year. So um, I, I like Rom. You know, the, again, the course is playing long. Um, it, we were talking to uh, Michael Breeds the other day. He believes that it favors a left-to-right player, which Rom is that's more his style, than, especially than, say, like a Rory McIlroy. Um, you know, the bunker play is going to be a big issue. We know Rom's a genius bunker player. We've seen him, you know, get in there with a four iron and hit flop shots out of bunkers. So he has all the shots from, from you know, the sandy areas as well. Um, he's just on such a roll right now that um, he, he deserves to be, I think, the, the clear favorite heading into this week. You mentioned Rory McIlroy. What do we do with him? He obviously has the talent, the length, the short game even to contend here, but uh, there's been some disappointment here of late, obviously starting with Augusta, then he withdrew from the RBC Heritage, a poor performance at the Wells Fargo. So that's not exactly coming in here firing on all cylinders. No, he's not. And, um, you know, he had an interesting press conference yesterday as well where, you know, the normally very chatty, very candid, very open – Rory, you know, kind of clamped up a little, especially on the issue of live and the future of golf and all these things that he's embraced talking about in the past year, and he's become kind of this spokesperson for the PGA Tour. He kind of made it like he's done with that. So I don't know if that's a good sign or a bad sign. It could be a good sign that um, he's not going to let those as many of those outside things distract him because clearly this past year seems to have caught up with him at the Masters with the, the cut, and then, as you mentioned, uh, playing poorly since then as well. So, um, you know, for a while he played well. Obviously, he almost won the Open. He came back, won the FedEx Cup. Um, he got back up to number one in the world. So you, you kind of could say, well, obviously he wasn't that distracted. But I think there is something to the, the point of the, the, the toll that all this has taken on him in the past year and all the meetings and the questions and everything else. So, um, I, to answer your question, yeah, I, I don't know what to do with him either. I'm, I'm, I'm not betting on him. Um, I did see that he had fallen to 18 to one at some point in the last couple of days. That would attempt it, but seeing him back in that 14 to one, maybe 12 to one range, 
Um, he does have connections to Oak Hill with his wife, Erica, being from the Rochester area. So, you know, it is a place where he's comfortable. But, um, again, I'm not, not sure that the holes play great for him. It's, again, a lot of left-to-right holes. Um, the length will certainly help him, that's for sure. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he's in an interesting place right now, and uh, I'm, I'm staying away. There's just so many other great options with, with better odds, I think. So some of those other options here, I think, is kind of like that next tier of golfer. They're still searching for their first major championship. Statistically, they're just really solid. Question marks maybe about the the mental ability to get it done in a major. I'm talking about Xander Shoffley. He's had some top 15s in his last four major starts as well. Patrick Cantlay. Uh, interestingly enough, though, that bunker category, I was looking at his stats, not good. Uh, but with Xander at 17 to 1, Cantlay 21 to 1, what do you like about these two guys' games heading into the week? Yeah, I mean, you can make a strong case for both of them. Um, I would lean Xander, uh, as you mentioned, just the more major success, just the familiarity being in the hunt at a major. I think I saw a stat today. He's got as many top 25s, top 15s at majors. I think it was top 15s in his first um, 25 starts as Tiger Woods did. So he certainly put himself up there. Now you could say, well, he wasn't, you know, how many times was he actually in contention to win on Sunday? There, there haven't been that many. But just the fact that he's been in the mix and contention, you know, he has that feel, has that vibe. Um, I, I like Alexander. Um, and, yeah, the short game, um, everything else from him, I think gives him a, a slight edge uh, over Canley. But, yeah, I mean, those are two guys who you got to think at some point they're going to win a major. They're just too good not to. Um, and you could argue, oh, well, can't we get into slightly better odds or kind of a toss-up? I, I could buy that as well. But, but uh, yeah, that's kind of – those guys are where I'm starting to, to look at. Um, Xander's the guy I'm, I'm targeting first on, on the board. So this guy, I've uh, talked myself into him, Brooks Kepka, 21 to oh, one, because yeah. uh, he seems like he's healthy now, and he contended at Augusta. We could debate whether Sunday and what happened to him was whether it was the slow play or whether or not it was finally playing in some tougher conditions. Regardless, right. though, he hits it well. He fires at middles of uh, middle of the greens. He grinds it out. He's had success at PGA Championships and courses I think that are kind of comparable to this here. Uh, so right. this seems like an event where uh, big-time major Brooks Kepka is going to show up. I mean, I did a ranking three weeks ago, and he was my number one bet because, A, I think he was at 28 or 30 to 1 at the time. Now he's moved up to 20 to 1, as you mentioned, or 21 to 1. But um, I, I, I agree. I, I really like Brooks this week. In fact, I like three live golfers. I like Brooks. I like DJ. Uh, and Cam Smith, those two guys are both in the 30 to one range. I actually got Cam Smith over the weekend at 50 to one, where he lost that playoff to DJ. So I just think you back last year, and if you said any of these guys, well, maybe not Brooks because he was struggling, but if you said DJ or Cam Smith, you're going to get 30 or 50 to one. Just think people would say that's that's nuts, um, and that's with Cam Smith winning the British Open. So uh, I like all three of those guys for sure. You know, I think the Masters proved that this whole um, the guys don't have the competitive edge anymore. Argument is kind of out the window, at least for now. I mean, we'll have to see maybe years down the line if they keep playing that kind of a schedule, if it ends up hurting them um, in the majors. But for now, clearly with Brooks and Phil finishing runner-up, Patrick Reed was in the hunt at Augusta. Those guys certainly look pretty sharp. And, yeah, it's funny about Brooks. He actually 
uh, you know, was on the, the uh, part of my take pod with Barstool today, and they, they kind of jokingly asked, did you choke in the Masters? And, and I was surprised. He actually he laughed. He said, yeah, I choked it away. Uh, it wasn't good. I choked it away. So, he, you know, he kind of admitted that he, he let Quinn get away. Um, but just the fact that he was right back in there, I'm with you. He looks healthy. And this is a course that seems to set up very well for him. Again, length, left to right, um, you know, and, and just major championship conditions that we know he excels in. Max Homa, 36-1. to 1. Statistically, he's another one of these guys that's just solid all around. He has some victories on tougher golf courses, but then you have the track record in majors and that needs improvement. So is yeah. he a play for you or a stay away this week? Oh, man, it's so tough. He's one of the ones I'm on the fence about. He got my money at Augusta, again, because like you mentioned, I, I just think of the great players. I mean, he's number six in the world. 36 to 1, or I mean, just seems like it's so enticing. But the fact that he has, you know, the no top tens at the majors, um, Augusta has a strong correlation with Riviera, which we know he's won at. Oak Hill, you don't get that same type of vibe. And, with, you know, he's not a long hitter. Um, I'm probably not going to go with Max Homa as much as I'd love to see him play well. Uh, but if the, you know, I, I'll be checking the. I'll be making one last round through the odds tonight, and uh, you know, if he falls a little more, uh, he could tempt. Matt Alex Myers, Golf Digest, right here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Points. So, you know, we kind of look at this golf course, and I get the feeling that it's going to be the big guys that legitimately have a chance here. So if we are building out the card, having some fun, yeah. throwing some darts with longer odds, how are you viewing this tournament, and where would you go in the long shot category? Uh, Gary Woodland would be my first. I think he's around 90, 100 to 1. Maybe not to win, but uh, certainly top 10 or top 20. You know, he's a U.S. Open champ. Um, he's played well at PGA Championships in the, in the past. Uh, again, the length, the left-right ball flight, uh, keeping it down out of the wind. He just is a disaster on the green. But yes. if he can get to the greens and just make enough two-putts, um, I think he could have a nice week. So Gary Woodland's probably one of the longer shots I like. Joaquin Neiman, another live guy. Um, I don't think he's getting quite enough respect either. I, I think I saw now he's down to sixty to one, but I saw earlier in the week eighty to one. That area, um, I'm kind of kind of digging that as, as well. So those would be two of the the longer shot guys, um, at least above fifty to one that that I'm looking at. But in terms of like winning it, you know, I like Brooks, I have Xander, I have DJ, I have Cam Smith, and my one other one is Finau. Uh, another guy, when is he going to win a major? Um, this is a brute of a course. When he's going, there's really no one better tee to green. He can take apart any course with his length. Um, you know, again, the putting is all is sometimes an issue. But, I, again, I just don't think it's going to be a birdie fest. I think that plays into his favor. And I'm liking him in that 24-25 to 1 odds range. Alex, as always, greatly appreciate your time, expertise, and great uh, insight into the PGA Championship. Let's have a great week. Let's, let's hit a winner, Kayla. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Once again, he is Alex Myers with Golf Digest. Always appreciate his time on the show. Uh, it's funny that he mentioned Gary Woodland there as a long shot. Boy, don't look at those putting stats for Gary.
they're they're going to make you sick. But we took Gary Woodland uh, for the week, top 40 at plus 140 on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. Just tee to green, uh, really solid. We're going Tommy Fleetwood, top 30 at plus 145 as well. A uh, Matt Fitzpatrick, top 20 over plus uh, plus 130 odds on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. There's been so much Tony Finau love this week. I just have some question marks here, so I'm going in a head-to-head matchup. Actually, Brooks Kepka over Tony Finau at plus 130. As for the winners, Brooks Kepka 21 to one. I am taking a shot with Max Homa at 36 to one, and then I did this in the winter. Don't feel great about it, but let's ride it out at 55 to one now because he's moved vastly down the board. That's Cam Young, so we'll see how that goes. But poll question time. It's next. HD Radio is here for KDUS AM 1060. Check out your favorite shows and games on 100.7 KSLX HD2. Thanks, as always, to Alex Myers, Golf Digest, for his time, expertise, and conversation. If you missed any of that preview regarding the PGA Championship, Oak Hill Country Club, Rochester, New York, you can podcast over at KDOS1060.com and KDOS1060 app. Let's get into the poll questions uh, right here on KDOS AM 1060 on this Wednesday, May 17th. The KDOS1060.com poll question to start things off. Who do you have tonight? in the Eastern Conference Finals Game 1, Celtics minus 8 or Heat plus 8? For the purpose of the question, I would take the Heat plus the points. Uh, Rarely uh, in playoff series do I bet on Game 1s, especially in seven-game series. And this has become even more of something that, uh, you know, I'm I'm less reluctant to bet on Game 1s of series uh, over the years, especially this year. Because the regular season means zero, and uh, especially, just add to that the the two teams playing. I mean, the Celtics were spectacular for much of the regular season. They were statistically dominant in almost every category in the regular season. Their playoff defense has borderline at times been atrocious, and I don't think anybody really believes, including the Celtics, if they did do the old truth serum thing that uh, they I don't think they would even admit that they've played really particularly well in the first two rounds of the playoffs. You've got Miami who's maxed out, even though you know, they certainly had the advantage in the first series when uh, Giannis went down with the injury uh, early in the first game. And then they got to play the Knicks in the second round. And, you know, you know Kayla and myself, and if we got, uh, you know, Kayla's got game, I don't. Uh, but if we found three other people, we could maybe beat the Knicks in a postseason series because they can't shoot, unless it's Jalen Brunson, who's really good, and everybody else should not be allowed to shoot. So, bottom line, I would take Miami plus the points in this game, but I'm not financially invested in this. Uh, yeah, I would be on the Heat plus eight as well. I think this just feels like a game that the Heat can can keep close. Uh, they've had more time to prepare. They've had more time to rest. I think the uh, advantage of Spolstra and Missoula, at least heading into game one, just seeing film uh, is definitely apparent there. My, my one concern would be that the Celtics just light it up from three and the Heat just aren't able to keep pace with that because obviously that's kind of the Celtics game and, and they have the players and horses to be able to do 
do that. Um, but I would definitely lean in the direction of Heat plus the points for this particular game. I'll just add one thing. I don't disagree with any of that, but I will add one thing. Uh, yeah, once the Celtics went to the bigger lineup, finally, uh, with Williams and Horford, uh, it didn't seem like they were jacking up threes as often. I don't even know if that's statistically, statistically correct, but I do know just by the eye test, those last couple of Celtics games, they didn't seem to just jack up shots that seemed to be stupid. Uh, and they jack up a lot of dumb threes because the Missoula wants them to shoot 30 or more per game, no matter who's on the floor, apparently. Uh, but, you know, they made a lot of threes in the game seven, obviously. But, you know, they, I, it seems like their shot selection is, is far better and everything's far better when actually they're smart enough and Missoula's smart enough to actually have the two bigs on the floor. Uh, the Heat plus eight is sitting out in front at 83% of the vote. Celtics minus eight at 17%. That's KDOS1060.com's poll question. Flipping this on over to Twitter at KDOSAM1060. Do you closely follow the NBA draft process, including the Tuesday night reveal of the lottery order? And kind of the first thing that came to my mind is that, uh, you know, if your team is not in the lottery or if your team is not uh, having the opportunity for those first four picks, then you probably aren't paying as close of attention because it doesn't necessarily matter as much to you. Uh, in addition to that, though, I, I think it's impossible to not know about Victor, though, uh, because of just what he is far and away the best prospect in this class and his skill set and what he can do and obviously his size so probably knowing about victor as it gets further on down the board maybe you don't know as much yeah and i would imagine part of this is because you know people haven't seen victor unless they've seen highlight videos of him and you know all highlight videos are highlights <laughs> and, and uh you know those are those are well produced and well put together well edited and so forth uh and the fact that you know scoot henderson it looks like he's going to be the number two pick and nobody you know i shouldn't say nobody he's been in like the, the whatever they call the g league now uh he's been in that league for a while so you know he's got some experience but he's like 19 years old he's supposedly the second best player but to me, as a somebody that watches seemingly, at least I think sometimes I do, watch every college basketball game played for at least from January on, that you know you've got uh, you know players like you know Miller and Whitmore and George, who is a tremendous talent, but I don't know what the hell he was doing at Baylor half the time because he just jacked up bad shots. You've got Walker, who uh, for Houston, the big guy who, who is a freshman. I think was the most improved player in college basketball during the season last year from start to finish. Yeah, the, the fact that uh, they're all in this draft, uh, I think I'm a little more intrigued with this particular draft than I have in the last two or three years. Now, the other bad news is, though, and maybe this also uh, kind of uh, is part of the uh, lack of uh, you know participation and uh, interest from the voters here, is the Pac-12 – when's the first Pac-12 player going to be picked? Um, you know, certainly not in the lottery unless something dramatically changes. Nobody from ASU and the U of A is going to be a first-round pick unless there's just a shock. Uh, I'm guessing that Haquez is going to be the first Pac-12 player picked, but is he going to be packed, picked in the first 20, first 25? So I'm guessing that maybe the lack of uh, – 
you know, the interest from the voters has that has something to do with it. Yeah, uh, John Hollander of The Athletic actually had uh, his top five, uh, not necessarily where they're going to go in the draft, but just top five prospects of what he thinks of them listed. And uh, we didn't have time to get into it. But if you scroll down in his article, he had Jaime Hawkes listed as 20th. That's as high as he could go, I would think. And you know, The combine is literally going on as we speak. <laughs> so I don't know what's going on today. Yeah, I think that if he might, uh, you know, if he impresses people, maybe he can move up. He's certainly a winner. There's no doubt about that. Also, Tubelis, if he has a good combine, he might be a second-round pick. Uh, and I think I still think that he'd be better off just uh, getting a gig in uh, overseas. And I don't see Tubelis' game transferring to the NBA at all. Not to disregard the masses, they answered the poll question, no, with 100% of the vote. That's on Twitter at KDUSAM1060. We wrap it up next. Need social information about KDUSAM1060? Try KDUS1060.com at KDUSAM1060 on Twitter and Facebook.com slash KDUSAM1060. Seventeenth edition of Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you. And it's that time. Once again, Bob, it's thank you time. As always, we thank you for listening. Special thanks to the callers, emailers, tweeters, texters, whomever and whatever else sip to the cracks. Also our guest today. An NBA draft preview uh, with Isaac Turner of 24-7 Sports. We hope to have Isaac back throughout the draft process. Also a PGA preview. Kayla talked with Alex Myers of Golf Digest. Sound day courtesy of, well, I just lost the sound courtesy of. I just I have kind it. of disappeared on if me here. If you need it. Uh, yeah, go ahead there. Okay. Sorry. ESPN, TNT, Valley Sports Arizona, NBA TV, WFAN, WCBS 880. All right. That would be the Mets flagship and WFAN, the Yankees flagship. So we covered the New York, New York portion of things. As always, special thanks to Kayla and uh, Corey and Aaron. And uh, Kayla's going to tell us what's coming up next. Up next from noon to 1 o'clock, it is Sports Map Radio Network, followed by the Doug Gottlieb Show from 1 to 3, the Rich Eisen Show from 3 to 5, and the Sports Zoo with Dave Rooster Bierstein from 5 to 6, Dugout Chatter with Tim Healy, Willie Bloomquist tonight, 7 p.m. There's a three-game series for ASU baseball wrapping up the regular season against UCLA here from Phoenix Muni starting Thursday. Pre-game, 6.45 p.m. and first pitch at 7. You can follow along KDOS AM 1060, KDOS1060.com, and the KDOS 1060 app. As it is right now, ASU is the five seed in the Pac-12 tournament, uh, but everyone is really bunched together, like two through seven. So we'll have to wait to see how weekend series play out to figure out where ASU baseball will slide in. Uh, obviously, there is some big news in regards to uh, what the city of Tempe 
GMP and the voters decided on yesterday. Uh, that was no on all three props that would have uh, paved the way for a new Coyotes arena and the Tempe district. Part of the statement that was released yesterday from representation regarding the Coyotes, uh, we are very disappointed. Tempe voters did not approve props 301, 302, and 303. As Tempe Mayor Corey Wood said, it was the best sports deal in AZ history. The Coyotes wish to thank everyone who supported our efforts and voted yes. So many community leaders stepped up and became our advocates, and for that we are truly grateful. We also wish to thank the countless volunteers who worked so hard to try and make the Tempe Inner District Entertainment District a reality and the Tempe City Council for their support as well. While we wanted a different outcome, we remain grateful to all those who volunteered their time and talent. So here's where we are. NHL Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly (laughs) told ESPN, quote, I don't envision a scenario in which the Coyotes are not playing in Mullet Arena next season. So the sentiment that uh, the Coyotes are relocating, uh, at least according to Bill Daly here of ESPN, uh, they probably will still be here next season. In addition to that, though, uh, the NHL, though, is no longer against considering alternatives. So you'd have to think that potentially relocation is on the table down the line. Not like we haven't heard that before. I mean, this is the ultimate banging their head against the wall. Why the NHL continually thinks that hockey is going to work here, I have no idea. I I've get, said that for 20 years. Uh, I guess it's just looking at Phoenix and uh, the fact that it's a ginormous marketplace and you don't want to leave that ginormous marketplace. That could only be my my rationale to your sentiment there. Okay, so they didn't work in Glendale, didn't work downtown. Nobody wants them in the East Valley now, so there's not many places left to even try to go. That'll conclude this Wednesday, May 17th edition of Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Make sure you're downloading that app. Take advantage of the listener rewards by signing up and uh, following along with how you can gain entries for a $100 gift certificate brought to you by Superbook Sports. As always, thanks for listening. Have yourselves a fantastic Wednesday. We'll do it again tomorrow.